Hello and welcome to the Pressing Matters podcast. I'm Sam Hyde. I'm joined by Toby Pisever. Just to note again that uh, we're recording this on the day of the Arsenal versus Chelsea game. So we're probably going to talk about that a little bit and then uh, sort of catch up on it again. And be completely wrong about it. There's so many games at the moment, it's all thick and fast, hey? I just need a bit of respite. But I can't have any. The footballing schedule has messed up our podcasting schedule quite a lot. And so there's going to be a lot of these weird moments. Yeah, last week we spoke about the Manchester City game. Uh, a bit of predictions for that. Big news before we start, though. Antoine Semenyo has scored in the Premier League. Any thoughts, Toby? I haven't even seen the goal, you know. I haven't even seen the goal. How shocking is that of me? Um, have, have you seen the goal? Yeah, it was like a 90 plus 2. Yeah, I did I did hear about it because I saw it and I saw it come up and thought, goodness. I thought, blimey. Um, he's off the mark. The boy's off the mark, so maybe he'll be flying now. In the same way that Bournemouth are flying. Well, they are. They're on the same amount of points as Chelsea at the moment. So, uh of two games played extra on Chelsea but 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 Chelsea aren't going to win any games till the end of the season anyway so you know what does that matter having extra games right now I'm going to watch the Semenyo goal I'll, I'll find a I'll quickly find a link oh so is Meslier like a clown I didn't actually look at the one that you put in there I mean it's not how they go in right it's just that they go in but we're going to talk about Leeds now because uh we spoke about Semenyo, uh, sure. Because I've just seen Leeds' his, uh, last four games, which are Man City, Newcastle, West Ham and Spurs. Uh, seems like we, we spoke about uh, Harry Redknapp coming back. I mean, we're not that far away from that if Big Sam gets the Leeds job. Big Sam Aladici back. Back in, uh, yeah, all, all hopes rest on him the panic down at that bottom of the table is frightening but beautiful quite the spectacle I think you've got to say uh, it's been a hell of a relegation scrap all season long and um, judging by I would say the four teams obviously look Southampton look pretty dead and buried now um, obviously they're not but they they are really aren't they um it would be a great escape if they do. It would be a hell of an escape. Really, we're probably looking at Everton. You know, two of Everton, Forest, Leeds and Leicester. I think West Ham and Wolves, well, they're, they're, they've got a bit of a gap anyway, but also they've kind of proven in recent weeks, I think, that they're not a total mess. And obviously Bournemouth are, are even higher up, as you said, with the Semenyo goal and with the equal points with Chelsea. Um so yeah, I mean, if we do lose two out of Everton, Forest, Leeds, and Leicester, that that is, it's a high. Ch- well, you're gonna have some big clubs in there. Really, is the big thing I would say. Yeah, the Everton's draw to Leicester is uh, on Monday looks a, a bit better for Leicester than for Everton because uh, that puts Leicester above Leeds and Forest now, and they've got a better goal difference than Everton, and only one point. So. Uh, they're not safe at all, but they have a very slight advantage over three teams. Yeah, and the table is kind of deceiving because they all all just on, well, there's three on 30 and one on 29. But the goal difference is quite a big swing in terms of Leicester's having minus 13 and Leeds being minus 24, Forest minus 32, Everton 25. So they've got like a, a an 11-12 goal advantage um, on the closest to them down there. But it's the points that count at the end of the day. And uh, if you can let Everton score two goals against you, serious questions need to be asked of the defence because that Everton team is dreadful going forwards. But we didn't, you know, straight into relegation chat, talking about all of them at the same time rather than really focusing on on any of them. Um, If you were to pick two to join Southampton, who do you think it would be? Everton and, and Leeds I'm saying it does feel like over the course of the season they have been worse do you know what I mean or, or less less hope Forest have Saints at home and then it's Chelsea away Arsenal at home 
palace away. So it's not easy at all, actually. Well, I, I was looking at that, that and saying 12 points. Oh. <laughs> the way it's going. Well, Southampton, well, it's, uh, it's, it's just very tough. It's just very tough. I think there'll be not sort of, not swings, but it's so hard to call now um, with that, out of that group. Um, but isn't Forest's home form like pretty good, and their away form really bad? Yes, yes, it is. But I do still think it's a big ask. Um, but Palace could be safe on the last on the last. Well, they should be safe anyway. Last game, well, they definitely. Yeah, the magical forty points, and they're above Chelsea, who you know aren't going to win any more games. So if Palace were to go down, Chelsea would be going down with them, right? <coughs> Yeah, I mean, you're saying all this on the eve of Arsenal versus uh, Chelsea. And I know I'm going to edit this tomorrow. And in a similar situation to last week where I'm editing us talking about Arsenal versus Man City uh, and our predictions for that, I could just envisage, like, another worst-case scenario where Lampard gets gets one over on Arsenal. Yeah, but surely not right. They're, they're, uh, he's lost five out of five. It's it's truly embarrassing. But then what do the Chelsea players have to actually fight for at this point? How, how, are, you, how are you motivating that dressing room right now? Yeah. I mean, you could ask similar questions of the Arsenal squad as well now that uh, there's felt like a bit of a lack of motivation in certainly the City performance. Not that there is, I think, a lack of motivation, but I think also though City do that to teams. City make teams look like they're not trying when they just can't actually get near them. When they when they hit that sort of groove, that level, that that untouchable um, attitude, it's just so hard to even sort of get close to even winning the ball back. Amps, however, he's not got a formula to do that. There's no doubts that this Chelsea team pose any team in the league threats because of the sort of the line that they can put out but there's there, there's there's not enough there i think you'll be i think you'll be fine well let's let's talk about the city arsenal game like i mentioned i edited the podcast uh, on the day after the city game when we recorded it the day of the city Salt game in the wounds. before and what a naive little boy i was during that recording uh there was there was hope during there, which very quickly disappeared after the game. And when you look at the last four games for Arsenal as a group, it uh, I mentioned a sort of downward spiral. And uh, yeah, it, it has. Uh, I said before the match that whatever happens, I would feel fine and happy with the season. And uh, I was quite surprised at just how much the game got to me it was quite <laughs> devastating watching it I bet uh, it reminded me a little bit of like the Emery era Arsenal uh, at the end where it was like losing the Europa League final against Chelsea where the team just doesn't really show much at all like they're going to they don't just always look like they're going to lose from the first minute basically against big teams which had been a, a big positive under Arteta uh, especially uh, the previous two matches in the league against City where Arsenal were possibly they, they were I would say the better team in both those games and definitely weren't in this one um, so yeah it would be really interesting to see the last games for Arsenal to see if they can bounce back because Arteta looked pretty devastated in his uh, post-match press conference He looked he looked tired he looked very different to how he looked throughout the rest of the season, so it did feel like an end, an ending point of of all of all of what this season has been building up to. Yeah, it's pretty devastating. What, what one of the things was how impressive it was. It very impressive how City made it look like men versus boys, despite it being first versus second, and they were second. You know, um, in terms of a clash between the top two. It wasn't what you would expect. Certainly, you know, some of the great Liverpool City games from from sort of recent history when we've been competing with them, it, it didn't look anything like that. Um, 
but it's it's tough. Uh, it's it's really tough. They've got a fantastic squad. They've got fantastic rhythm at the moment, and they have an out and out striker number nine, absolute goal machine. And the system isn't, and the, well, the system and control doesn't seem to be affected too much by it. They did go more direct, which obviously is a is an impact from it, but that. But it's just scary in the sense that now if you do go and try and squeeze them high and try and sort of force them into maybe overplaying, they've got the option to just put it into his chest, put it into his feet and build from there. And then you've got a player as talented as Kevin De Bruyne just running at you know, acres of space with players around him. And he's someone who makes the right choice so often that they they can be very punishing in those situations. So, you know, they can they can do it all and it's a frightening prospect. Um, it's frightening that it's the first year with Haaland and he's breaking all the records and they look sensational um, and so cohesive so soon. I think the only thing you could level at City earlier on in the season was that they didn't look as cohesive as they have in recent years. And now they've they've got everything just seems to have clicked. Massive credit to Pep Guardiola for the tweaks he's made and, you know, the big calls of, like, getting rid of Cancelo and even coming out and saying Walker doesn't fit this. Um, and he's just been bang on the money repeatedly, which which we shouldn't be surprised about, but it's it's certainly been impressive. It's the Rico Lewis and Bernardo Silva left-back times as well that seem very, very distant in the memory. Yeah, very different city team since then. And now he's able to sort of build up in the same way, but with far more solidity if they do get turned over. You know. Yeah, I think what what was shocking about it was like how how much of a gap there seemed to be uh, between Arsenal and City, and obviously there's the the Pep factor that you've mentioned, the gap between Pep and pretty much all other coaches, obviously the finances as well. Yeah, he's obviously a genius, but we can't look past the fact the fact that he he is able to do all of these crazy things and it's fine. Like they're not crazy because they work, but no other team can just sort of get rid of Cancelo and still be fielding a backline, I don't know, fifty million pound players right the way through it. Yeah, and this was what annoyed a lot of Arsenal fans is that the commentators kept kept bringing up, and they have done this before as well, is that. Manuel Akanji for £15 million. It's just like, oh, what a smart signing by City. And it's like you're choosing the one player in their team, basically, who is not like a £50 million guy. Uh, and, you know, like, got to consider wages and all this sort of stuff as well that are going to be, be big for City. And, uh, yeah, it it just it just felt a bit, a bit biased to keep bringing that up all the time. Yeah, it's very selective, isn't it? It's very selective. Yeah, but... Uh, City, if they win this title as it looks like they are now, it will be five out of six. Uh, five of the last six years that they've won the Premier League. Obviously, Liverpool won it a few years ago. That the only team to have stopped them. How, how do you feel about this? And is it just going to keep on happening? Do you think? Uh, yeah. Look, it's not. <clears throat> it's never a great look for for any league to have a team with such dominance. I think. You you give the right man a, a blank checkbook and and this is what happens. Uh, it's a tough one between congratulating the fantastic work that Pep's done and the sort of marvelous brain that he has, but also it is always a little bit of a not like pinch of salt. But you you will always be able to level at them. Well, look, they have all of the money, so it's to be expected. It's it's still painful to take. Uh, and look, it's not like they haven't been challenged in those seasons, but it just seems like no one else can sustain sustain it for so many years as well, the level. Uh, you're looking at the drop-off Liverpool have now. <clears throat> the, you could call it a transitional period with like the front, front line. Okay, it's... We've only actually... We only actually lost Mane out of that sort of classic front three of Firmino, Salah and Mane, but Firmino's been playing less and less games with his injury record and his sort of age. Um, 
I think also just the amount of effort put in to just stay with them for so long, the impact that has. But Arsenal's a young team. They'll, you know, the team will keep improving. It's just how damaging is this now, and and how can it be used as a positive instead of a, a painful negative. Whilst also going into the Champions League next year and sort of the the implications that has on, the demands of the squad. Um, it'll be very interesting. But one thing's for sure: next season. City will be the favourites for the league, as they always are. But, you know, that's not to say somebody can't take it off them. They will always be there as in the top two. And then it's just who can push them at least to make it competitive. Even though it's kind of inevitable that you feel that they'll win, who can at least push them? That's what we've entered into now. And, we, and we've been in this for a while. It's just we haven't really picked up on it too much. Yeah, you've you brought up some good points, actually, that I wanted to talk about because... Uh... I remember like three or four years ago, I quite enjoyed watching City when Arsenal were obviously lower down the table and City were competing against Liverpool mostly. Uh, and we would have conversations where you would just be very angry with uh, everything Man City do. And I'd be like, well, at least they're pretty fun to watch. And now, now I'm in your position, basically, and it's a lot easier to empathise with all the all the irritating things that go around with with Man City now and how uh, how unstoppable they can feel. Yeah, it's like they're playing a computer game while everyone else is actually having to deal with chance and <clears throat> like football is the sport it is because at the end of the day you can have all of the best players and you can have the best manager but there's still a huge amount of luck involved whether that be the ball being millimetres from crossing the line back when Liverpool were a point off winning the title in a in a head-to-head game against City when Stones brilliantly clears it off the line but it's literally millimetres you know just that that chance and that risk risk isn't the right word but that chance and that luck I was hesitant to say luck because they are brilliant it's margins I guess isn't it yeah the fine margins that look as a manager you're doing everything you can to control the game but at the end of the day the sport is brilliant because there are uncontrollables but the point is that City have become so elite at reducing all of those factors whether it be squad management because of the squad depth whether it be the way they counterpress and suffocate teams you know all these things that make it fun they're fantastic at reducing, which is which is the biggest sort of praise you can give because that's all the manager can do is to set up to have those moments of, of luck and those small margins be as small as possible. But um, it makes it infuriating. It makes it infuriating. And, and, then, and then the little things that don't go your way, which is completely natural that they don't go your team's way because they can't all go your team's way become even more infuriating because you look at them and you, you're st- sort of sitting there with seething jealousy and it means that a player as marvellous as Rodri if you're the team in direct competition from my experience as a Liverpool fan you can't see past the sort of red mist that des- descends and the anger when the truth is he's, he's ridiculous as a player he's fantastic but it's so infuriating I think the same kind of comes down to like decisions as well. Like it, whenever I watch City, like definitely in the Arsenal game, some of the decisions just seem maddening to me. But watching them in both games against Fulham as well, because uh, Fulham was the game after the City game, but also earlier in the season they got an absolutely ludicrous dive from De Bruyne. Like whenever I watch City, there's like frequently these moments where it's like, I think like, would other teams get that decision or not? Like the Diaz lashing out against. Ben White is just like I can't believe that's not a red card when he's just like deliberately studying someone off the ball and then like the the John Stones offside just seems like crazy to me like it, it's one of those where it just feels like offside but the 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 replay that we saw live uh, there were no lines drawn from anywhere like the downward lines there was no shot of the ball in play and then when they cut to it at the ha- at half time on the review you can see that the ball is like this massive blur that has like left De Bruyne's foot and grown like three times his size. 
it just feels like the VAR has just chosen completely the wrong frame and not like done all the work. I don't know. It's it's difficult to talk about City as a compet as a team who have pushed them without just sounding incredibly salty and like hard done by. It is, but but some of it is justified. But I think I think you know what what you're saying is justified. But you do just sound like a ranty, salty Arsenal fan. I know, and and because of the football tribalism and things, you know, and basically other fan bases seeing your happiness for the full season, they're gleefully waiting to see a meltdown, and then they get a meltdown, and they're so happy about it. it like it's it's just tough. I completely understand, Sam. It's very tough. Yeah, I just want to say like like these are sort of it's the fact that these are all like fifty five, forty five decisions or whatever, and it just feels like when you're in a tight race with City, you're noticing them going cities more way more often than they're not when it could go either way like the the Holland handball against Arsenal I'm just going to talk about the Arsenal ones because they affect me more emotionally than yeah, the Fulham yeah. ones even though I can't believe that uh Fulham didn't get a penalty when City did get a penalty um but yeah like there's a Holland handball and I don't think the referees know the handball rule because uh, this is a hot topic that is completely unrelated from my Arsenal bias. Uh, the handball rule, because have you heard the you've you've heard the pundits talk about uh, the sleeve rule? Yes. Uh, what do you think the sleeve rule is? Uh, honestly, I don't. I don't even know. I, I've not even paid too much attention to handball these days because I I think it's a lottery. Because because you're right. It that. That backs up your point in the fact that the refs know, like the refs must know it, but they seem to be able to interpret it however they want to any week, you know. Well, do you want me to tell you what the sleeve rule means? Because it's not a sleeve rule. I read, I downloaded this PDF from like iFab or someone about <laughs> the up- updates to it. The it's not a sleeve rule; it's an armpit rule. You draw a horizontal line midway through the sleeve where the bottom of the armpit is. And that's uh, that's where it is because you see all these comments saying like, "Oh, why don't players just wear long sleeves and that?" But this is this is why like it's it's drawn directly uh, horizontally from the armpit. And you look at the Holland one. A, he's deliberately moved his arm into the ball, and B, it's the bit of the sleeve that is below the armpit as well. And I've seen this for so many teams this season, uh, like where they've the the balls hit the sleeve line, but below the horizontal from the armpit, but above the bottom of the sleeve and they move into it and I just can't believe that that's not a penalty anymore because the the, reading the rules it feels like it should be yeah yeah I mean I could yeah we could talk we could talk a lot about incidents over the years where you just look at it and you think what the Diaz kick out is a is a funny one It's, it's a funny one because I think the the physicality that has been allowed into the game for over the past sort of couple years by refs kind of means that it's not a red I kind of agree yeah. because there's not too much force in the kick out but surely at what point is just like purposely kicking some like studying someone like just because you didn't snap them I don't think that should mean that it's not a foul but they're, they're allowing more and more to go that you see far heavier tackles than like a petulant kick out and it makes the petulant kick out seem okay because it's not too harmful. Yeah. But the reality is, is that there's no way that it should be allowed, right? It, it shouldn't just be able to go unpunished and he gets a yellow... That A yellow card isn't a punishment. Yeah, and if he'd have slapped him, like, just a little tap on the head, like he'd been sent off as well, but putting your studs in the back of someone off the ball is fine. So it, it was it was irritating. It was very disappointing watching Arsenal regress on the pitch, just to make this clear. It's a lot more boring to say that Arsenal were were rubbish, and when City are so like dominant for that, it's it's hard to really like know what to talk about as well. Like, I would have liked Arteta to have rotated his squad more in the last few games. Uh, it's something that Pep does a lot more and can afford to do a lot more than Arteta. But you know, uh, Saka could use a rotation. Like maybe Jesus is since he's come back from injury, has basically played all the time. And maybe he could have used a rest against uh, Southampton. Uh, or just, like, not even a rest, but, like, this rotation to keep a bit of bit of fire in everyone, you know, like... Uh, well, I think there's going to be more referee chat 
coming up now. I think there is. Well, I was gonna, uh, I was gonna say, as a bit of a direct link, I was gonna actually bring up the. Do you remember there was a Rodri handball against Everton, which basically meant they won the title. Yeah, that as well, was, and it was just such a clear handball, and it was our friend Paul Tierney who uh, who didn't give it. Um, I don't know. Do we want to make this a completely, you know, we hate refs episode? Because I'm, I'm kind of happy to go down that route, but. Um, uh, I mean, sure, we're allowed once in a while. I think, I think, uh, I, I just want to like, uh, say because uh, Paul Tierney has been someone that has been very, very unpopular with Arsenal fans for a long time, and it's funny to see Liverpool fans going through the same cycle. Uh, is kind of like in the Wenger days as well. Wenger would just always complain about the refs, and then uh, you would see like the same ref who had bad decisions against you in the first place get complained about and then do more bad decisions after then and then it builds and builds like this uh, and yeah this feels like exactly what Klopp and Liverpool are going through with uh, Paul Tierney and uh, David Coote on the VAR as well is another notorious character absolutely absolutely I think it's just people people with bad track records and I think the problem is as soon as you there's a few factors here that have sort of been bubbling away this season right you've got probably I'm going to say like a trifecta of factors you've got a the fact that there is VAR. So to make mistakes is incredibly frustrating when they can look at things again and again. And and, and there's different kinds of mistakes, but there's some, it, it's the lack of understanding f- for a fan as to why this is this mi- micro, minute action in some instances gets analysed for what feels like three to five minutes, yeah? And then you'll have other things brushed away like it's nothing. Um... So there's, it's just, it always comes down to consistency. So that's sort of part A is the fact that you have VAR now to look at, and it doesn't seem to be clear when it gets scrutin when when things get scrutinised through VAR and when things don't. Okay, and that's not to say the scrutinising is good either, right? Because sometimes they overwatch it, overwatch it, overwatch it, and you think, hang on, you're looking at something in super slow motion, and it's just not fair now the angle that they're that they're seeing. Yeah. It's because TV doesn't always cut to VAR as well. Like, it's hard to tell, isn't it? When they don't show the VAR. Yeah, yeah. So things could be getting looked at, but you as the fan think that it's not, so you just feel hard done by. Then you've got. Ah, sorry, I said three factors, and now I've got to actually remember the other two. And I can't remember what the rest was. <laughs> sorry, Sam, I've got no idea what I was going to say. But but what but I did have something else to say on refs before I sort of felt like before I wanted to go into a full rant, there was one thing I wanted to say. Yesterday I went to uh, a Tool Station West playoff final. Okay, proper local football. Shout out to Tool Station. Shout out the Tool Station, and okay. Home team, the team that I was sort of there to watch, but I don't really watch any of the games, but I went down to watch this one. Home team goes 2-1 up. It's a huge game because it's for promotion. And night added time, and I just watched this in front of me and thought, who would be a referee? But added time, a header on goal is cleared off the line by a defender, right? And... As soon as the lino doesn't give it, and I'm standing in the corner, so I'm down by the lino anyway, and it didn't look like it went over the line, right? It was it was fairly clear it, d- it didn't go over the line, but it was still tight. And just then the whistle goes for full time, like when the ball's cleared, okay? And as soon as the whistle goes for full time, the whole team from, uh, it was Shirehampton, the, full, the whole team just runs at the lino and he's just you're just fully grown men just abusing him screaming in his face because of what's on the line the stakes and everything like this yeah and it's understandable they're frustrated but it's completely out of order and you know a few red cards come out man uh, assistant coach gets a red because he's given it to, and, and you've just got like 40 to 50 year old like full built coaching staff men given it to this lino. You've got players just aggressively giving it to this lino. But then he's completely backed into it. Imagine he gives the goal and then blows his whistle. He's still having a full team give him dog's abuse, like loads of abuse. 
And, and look, that is just that. Sadly, that is football, right? But you know, just watching that, it was just kind of like first things first. First, you you can't win as the ref, right? And, and Paul Tierney kind of summed that up because he comes out of the the Spurs game, and both sets of fans aren't happy, right? But the way he's refed the game has allowed it to be where both sets of fans aren't happy. So he's just making poor decisions all over the pitch, really. Now, look, some of them are more... Some some of the decisions you've got bigger claims to be annoyed about than others, and that's always going to be the way. But to just have everyone coming off the, the, the pitch talking about the ref, it just shows that it's not it's not been... Well reft, really, is is what I would say. Now, look, Liverpool create their own issues. They go three 0 up, and then they allow Spurs back into the game. There's and, and there's no amount of refing that um, should deny, you know, looking inwardly at, at Liverpool's performance or looking at, you know, if you're a Spurs fan, looking at Spurs' performance and how they're going three 0 down so early again and having to fight back into it. But I think it just. It was it was so frustrating. It was so frustrating, and and when the ref becomes the hot topic, it just shows that poor decisions have been made. And yes, that's partly driven by Ryan Mason complaining afterwards, by Klopp giving it to the fourth official when when Liverpool score the winner, and then the the conversations that ensue then afterwards. But um, yeah, it just felt pretty poor for what. For for how stakes the high for how stakes the higher how high the stakes are and everything sort of involved and surrounding it. Yeah, we have maybe buried the lead a little bit in that. This was an absolutely brilliant and hilarious game of football. It was fantastic. But like you say, Ryan Mason and Jurgen Klopp did spend a lot of time both talking about the referees. Uh, I completely agreed with Klopp's post game interview. I disagreed with Ryan Mason. He said Spurs had the better chances and I just thought he came across as quite bitter. Yeah, I, I felt that Spurs were getting more of the decisions than Liverpool, but it was terrible for, for, for both sides just because it's a Paul Tierney game. Uh, I was really annoyed with Klopp as well when Salah's like breaking down the corner, gets pulled and then free kick goes Spurs' way. Uh, it's just things like that. It's like it's just getting something completely, totally wrong and it's like when the game is as tense as this one was like in the second half yeah uh, yeah absolutely yeah, it all builds up and and it and it distracts from what was a fantastic game especially look, you know the classic line is a great game for the neutral and all that but like it, it was a fantastic game I was really ready to come on here and talk about how much Liverpool had bottled it and then uh, Spurs bottled it even more. It was the most Spurs performance. And I feel like I say this all the time, though. It was just it's so Spurs. But I, I, I don't know where Spurs really go from, from here. I don't know where Daniel Levy goes from here. Um, but it's just comical. And it's just repeatedly comical. And, you know, they were so defensive. They were, like, early on, they were so defensive, but then so poor at defending. It was just it, what made it brilliant. You know, they're playing this really quite, well, essentially, you know, a pretty rigid 5-4-1. They basically had let Trent just have free roam of central midfield because they were sitting in so deep and because he was sort of coming out from a defensive line with the ball or like sitting it up and just sitting in front and just picking it, picking up the ball just in front. There was no way for them to really, you know, certainly in the first half or sort of early on, to, to apply that pressure um, and just let him sort of do what he wanted and then just stupid challenges from, from people like Romero um, who who uh, at the start of the season I was really impressed with Romero I thought he was I thought he was a fantastic defender and now I just every time I see him I just think there's a hell of a player there but the system has to be functioning perfectly for you to be for you to prosper within it Right, or or it has to be very well drilled and clear, and then he can sort of roam in, in terms of trying to win the ball in in areas where he comes out of his defensive shape to try and win it. Um, and even in possession, I think he's very good and sort of comes out of that back three at times very nicely. But and under a system, well, 
it's not a surprise that under people like Stierlini and Ryan Mason, who to be fair to them just don't have the the experience at this level where everything is so crucial, it, it, it just makes him look quite poor and it makes his decisions just look stupid and kind of compound poor performances for the entire team. Um, he gives the penalty away. He lets Diaz run across him for that goal. And then going back to Ryan Mason in, in his sort of post-match comments, it just felt like incredibly emotional. And I don't really blame him for that because think about the roller coaster of getting back into it and then losing it at the death and it being the player who you feel should be sent off. But it just felt emotional, naive. I thought he was unprofessional, to be honest, in his post-match. Not that... Uh... I'd say Klopp was particularly professional when he's sort of jumping in a fourth official's face, but yeah, what what Klopp did was embarrassing, you know, frankly. But look, in that moment, he spoke well after the game was the difference. Whereas Ryan Mason sort of carried all those emotions into his conference. Yes, afterwards. Yes, I would completely agree with that. And and the way he's like demanding answers, it's like it's like petulant child kind of approach. It's kind of like exactly. It's 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 kind of like. There were 90 minutes played where they were they were very poor. And it, it harks back to what Conte was saying, really. He kind of hit the nail on the head without us all... We, we, in the moment, we kind of all just thought it was him, him being petulant and ranty. But the reality is that this Spurs team are okay when they're getting pumped and they're multiple goals down and there's nothing on the line. And it's like well, no one's expecting us to do anything from here anyway, you know, kind of thing. But when you're actually in a crunch, huge fixture where they were ahead of us before the game and had the chance to really put a gap there and sort of stake a bit of a claim to, to finishing above us, they were they were nowhere to be seen. He was picking and choosing a few things because the skip challenge is like much more worthy of a red card than the Jota challenge anyway. Yeah, I really think so. I think I think there's a difference between just because blood is drawn from the head doesn't mean it's more dangerous, right? Yeah, I think that's like a worst case scenario. What we saw, like, it's not like there was a force there that was going to cause a concussion or anything like that. Really, it was it was going to cause a cut to his head, and that's that's what it did happen. And Harlan does the exact same thing earlier on the season to um, Wacky Manderson. Yeah, because the, the, that was going around on Twitter and it was Dermot Gallagher basically saying completely contradicting things about it. Uh, yeah, and so, we're not here just to dig yeah, out Dermot kind of... Gallagher because that would be a whole separate episode. But the point is, is it comes it, it comes back to consistency and there just isn't any. And to be fair, Paul Tierney gets it right in that instance. Yeah. But then such a fuss is being made afterwards. And I don't feel like the same kind of fuss has actually really been made of the skip challenge. There has been it hasn't, know, no. plenty of clips around it. And, and as a Liverpool fan, I've been seeing it everywhere on my Twitter because Liverpool fans are bringing it up. But it feels like, it feels anyway, from my sort of bubble of, of bias, that everyone's talking about the Jota one. But then Jota goes on to win the game. So I understand it. It's, it's lazy and it's easy. But the fact is, you've got Luis Diaz, who's literally coming back from... Um, having his knee done for which was another like reckless challenge on him to to now you know being probably pretty close to having his leg broken um and it wasn't even given as a foul and that's and that's fine and 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 so this is the inconsistency and and it's like Ryan Mason allowed his tribalism that we all have into his professional role which is just a bit silly hey you uh you want to know something Here's a little memory for you. I uh, I got sent off for doing that Oliver Skip challenge in Five Aside once. And <laughs> you did. To get sent off uh, in Five Aside takes quite a lot, and uh, I didn't have studs on or anything like that. So uh, <laughs> yeah, it was probably my one completely reckless challenge where I was like, ah, yeah, I've made a mistake there. Uh, couldn't see why I've been sent off, but more just shocked that that was a, th- a thing that you could get sent off in Five Aside. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, I definitely think Skip got away with one there. Absolutely, absolutely. But if we can focus a little bit on the game, well, there's a lot of things to to discuss in there. 
I think we, we sp- I spoke about Romero. I don't want to go back too much, but I did just miss to say, I, d- I did mean to say, you know, there's a stat that came out from Opta and he he's averaging more cards per game than Ramos, which I think just shows the, the recklessness and the kind of the decision-making, the rashness, I think, more than recklessness, the rashness in his challenges. Um, and-, and I felt like he got away with a lot in the first half of the season, so... Yeah, yeah, it could be worse, you know. Um, and I think if you're in a watertight unit, you can afford to have like that rash, forceful player. But if you're getting pulled apart and and the structure's not in place, you just look, you look like a headless chicken, you know. And speaking of headless chickens, we had a beautiful moment with Richarlison doing his dance and then... Hey, and this... first Premier League goal. <laughs> It's it's literally the funniest thing that could happen. <laughs> it is, uh, it is, and, and I said to, I said to, I think I said to my girlfriend because I was watching it at the pub with her, and um, <laughs> that would be fun. I said to her, I said to her, the Premier League scriptwriters really outdone myself, and she just didn't, didn't really understand what I was talking about. She was just like, "There's not a script," and I was like, "Nah, don't worry about it, Becky." But you know, the scriptwriters. Whoever it is coming up with this stuff, the footballing gods, whoever's hands it's in, it's just, it's it's marvellous. We should just say, like, your girlfriend does actually really like football. You made it sound like a bit like a, like a my wife kind of joke that. Uh, yeah, sorry, she's far I better than me and uh, trains regularly and plays far more than me. Um, it was more my my me alluding to there being some people in an office writing a script for what's going to happen next that she was just baffled by, you know, which I don't, which I don't blame her for. He's, uh, but yeah, Richarlison had the ball in the net two times before uh, in this season and both are ruled out for offside. Both times he's taken his shirt off. Yeah. <laughs> takes his shirt off again this time, goes up on the boards. I mean, it's such like, like a scuffed header as well. Like, I think it, I thought it was, I thought Nunes put perfect. it in to be honest. Oh yeah. It's, it's weird contacts. Yeah. But look, he's put the ball in the net. He's stuck the ball in the net. That's what he has to do. Um, doesn't do it much, but that's what he has to do. And that's what he did. And he set up a, a classic, you know? So I think as a Liverpool fan as well, I think I kind of, I had this, pit in my stomach when he came with 10 minutes to go and we were 3-2 up where I just thought the ex-Everton man the guy who's not scored all season it's going to be him and it was him but in true Spurs fashion they couldn't have the last laugh and there was still another twist twist to come and can I just say Lucas Moura has had two substitute cameo appearances one against Everton where he got sent off um and for two yellows, I think it was. And then Everton go on to draw 1-1. He comes back from his ban or whatever, comes on for the past for the last like five minutes or ten minutes in this game. And he just passes it back and Jota just runs in off it and, and scores. So not his finest hours either. And it just is all very Spurs, you know. It's all very Spurs. But focusing on the positives and Liverpool... Uh, Trent in this CDM role the, the, the biggest uh, has been fantastic there he's provided uh, assists in his past five games and he is the only player to go on two separate runs of five consecutive assists in games in five games um, so really we shouldn't be comparing him to to right backs we should be carrying him, comparing him to well Kevin De Bruyne's and that kind of player but uh but Gareth Southgate was at the game. They did show some clips of him. And I did think to myself, you're watching a fantastic midfield performance from a right back, from like a 23, 24-year-old right back who is English, and yet you just don't know how to get the best out of him. And and you're our England manager. And it, that annoyed me as well, but it's turned into a very ranty, ranty episode, hasn't it? Yes, and and Trent should definitely play for England. But uh, did you know that Kieran Trippier has the most chances created in the league this season? Obviously from right back, so yes, something to think about. Yeah, and it's interesting that fullbacks are at an interesting point right now, I think, you know. 
uh, and and their use in systems because there's no doubt that in that position you can you can be the player who's got a bit more time on the ball in you know in high presses and things you, you you can find gaps there if you can sort of force the opposition back into a sort of mid block that respects your controlled possession it's very useful to have incredible ball playing footballers I suppose at full back because they may have some more time and space in certain systems and against certain other matchups but it's interesting that Pep's kind of come away from that and opted to go sort of four centre-backs or things like that and, and have he's obviously got plenty of creativity elsewhere but you know that that was sort of seen a year ago not even that maybe it was seen as like the, the full-back the new wave the vogue the new vogue of creative fullbacks and there are still plenty of them doing it but the the team sitting at the top of the table aren't really too interested in having a Cancelo for example so that's quite an interesting tactical development that's happened this season um, but there's no doubts that Trent is enormously talented and, and moving into midfield has suited him very well uh, and he's done very well there providing lots of assists and, and I think I said it before with it was a goal scored at the back post by Salah when it's uh, if essentially you've got Henderson and Jones both attacking the box as the two eights. And that's some, a, t- a trademark of sort of Pep's game is having those two eights either side of the pivot that can go very high. And it's clear that having the fullback invert into midfield means that those two can go high. And if you l- lose possession, you still have some central compactness there to not be too vulnerable to counterattacks. And I think Spurs actually really struggled with picking up sort of Jones and it was Elliot in this game who didn't have his best game but um you know picking up those two sort of attacking eights and and sort of not being struggling and being overloaded and overwhelmed in areas of the pitch because of the freedom that they had because Trent could push in and and, and provide cover there. I just want to say, uh, because uh, everyone, and in particular Spurs fans, like to talk about Arsenal bottling, have Spurs bottled top four? Uh, or at least top five, as it looks like? I would say yes. I would say let's everyone go on Twitter and call Spurs bottlers for bottling top four. Yeah, but because the... they were in a really good spot that we forgot about at, yes. at Christmas. They were in a good spot for top four. Yes. And now they're not even close. It's been a self-destruction and it's been completely brought on by themselves. They were they were fine and they all just sort of fell out. And then they had, there was a big falling out despite them being well-placed and they weren't prepared for the fallout. We can see clearly because they've had Stellini and Ryan Mason as managers. So, uh, yeah, I spoke about Arsenal and Arteta should have made more changes. Uh, while well, he's done that for the Chelsea game now, which is nice to see because it's holding out for Kivior, party out for Jorginho, Martinelli out for Trossard. Feels good. Feels like a good way to end the season to sort of start doing this rotation, I think. So we'll see what happens with Arsenal versus Chelsea. What do you think will happen? Uh, I I think Arsenal will be fine. I think... Look, I like that midfield three from Chelsea of Fernando, uh, well, Enzo, sorry, I'm reading it off the, the list, but Enzo, Kovacic and Kante. I think that is a, is a is a is a lovely blend of profiles and of talent. And I think that in itself is enough to keep a team in a game, right? Because I think they're good enough to control, have, have periods of controlled possession. You can beat some pressure in there. But also, if you don't have the ball, they're not going to suffer too much either. You've got players who can go and, um, well, can can go through a period of not having the ball and still, you know, win it in good areas and, and break. And also, I think you've got enough enough sort of midfield talent and and maybe ball retention to to build on and build attacks from. So I think there's no doubt that they're going to be a threat. But I think Arsenal have too much and have too much of a structure. And I just think too many of these teams like your Chelsea's and your Spurs 
are in a position where they have some fantastically talented players, but there there is no real plan as of right now. And I just think that too many, on the flip side of that, too many Premier League teams have used resources well, have a clear structure and plan to go and play with. Um, you know, you look at the changes Brighton made. I mean, Brighton are fantastic anyway, but the changes Brighton made and yet there was no impact on the performance and a huge win against a good Wolves side. Um, and I just think there's too many other teams who have a plan and have used their funds well for you to just get away with that. Um, you can't just limp to the end of the season, not this season. You, you can't just say, look, it's okay, there's this many games to go and, and we'll we'll just get by because you just will not win games because there's no easy game around the corner to then just have a feel-good factor come back. So I'm going, I'm going Arsenal 3-1. Yeah, so I wasn't really too sure with being confident in Arsenal, but I've just seen Chelsea have scored one goal in seven. Frank Lampard is uh, is winless in his last 15 competitive games as a manager. Aubameyang is starting, which is a bit different for Chelsea. It feels like if there was these Premier League script writers, then uh, now would be the time to write something very funny. And look, this is football. And this is why we love it. Anything can happen. We'll throw that out there. But I just think... And maybe to close on this, this isn't the league for work experience. So you can't have a Ryan Mason, a Stellini, a Frank Lampard, you know, even the struggles Gerard had. You can't go to a mid-table club as a young manager and think, right, this is a great place for me to kind of grow and prove myself because it's too unforgiving. You have to be elite. Your recruitment has to be elite. And the player, the, the the person driving that, whether you've got a sporting director there, whether you've got a manager who is clearly at the helm and, and leading things and making key decisions, you can't really be learning your trade in this league. Maybe next season will be different, but I don't think it will be. Well, okay. We, uh, I just realised I've got to talk about Victor Orta earlier. He's He's been let go from Leeds. Sporting directors say they're important, aren't they? Yeah, but but you can't blame them at all because they've been an absolute mess in in terms of how they've actually been run. But anyway, we've got four minutes until the uh, kickoff. So uh, apologies, we only spoke about uh, our teams, but hey, we like them. Yeah, we could have talked about more football uh, rather than some of the other stuff. But oh well, uh, we we'll be back next week. We'll talk about. Uh, Arsenal, Chelsea, I'm sure, and Liverpool, uh, Fulham, Liverpool, Fulham. Oh, that's not that interesting. Yeah, so it's good when there's not interesting Liverpool games because it means I actually maybe talk about other things. We will talk about West Ham's four-three victory over Man City next yes, week. Yes, yes, yes. We'll be back next week. Thank you, Toby. Goodbye. We will be back, and the football will be back. Goodbye. <laughs>